So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark, and so today as we're talking about Mark, no, I am not talking about myself in the third person. I do not have that big of an ego. Uh, when we decided to go through Mark uh, last summer with our teens, so we've been at my job, we've been paralleling White Ridge somewhat. I got all of the ribbing about Mark doing Mark, so please save it for after the service. I've heard it all. Um, but yeah, for those of you who do not know me, uh, for those of you who are new or visiting, one welcome. And I work for Living Bible Explorers. Uh, we are an inner city youth and children's outreach. We work with youth, kids, and their families in the core of Winnipeg. And I have the privilege of being one of this church's missionaries. Um, you guys send me, and I get to go, and I love that relationship. Although I have to make a confession. When, as, a, as someone who is sent from this church, a question I often receive and do love to receive is, how are things going at LBE? I love that this church cares for me and asks that, but I confess that sometimes I have a hard time answering it. And so my usual response is good, and if I now challenge you, if you really want to know more, press beyond it, because there usually is more underneath good, because... That is the best answer I can give on a short form. Because while things are really good at LBE, this year has been a fun year and an amazing year in some ways. We have grown as teen ministry. Um, some, of, some people in this church have been our lunch club cooks, and they have watched it grow from about 25 kids at lunch to 60 kids at lunch, and they have had to cook for that many kids. We have gone from having about 40 kids at a teen event to 60 kids, and we have run into the issue of literally running out of chairs at points, which is cool, and it's a good thing, but it's an interesting challenge to have, that we literally don't have space at points. There have been those good big things. We have this year coming up, I am excited, we have 40 new grade 6 kids coming from our kids program into our teen program. And at the beginning of this summer, when we added up all of the teens we were visiting, and that we had relationship with. There were over 150 teens that we had to visit, which is amazing. It's also terrifying because I have 40 new teens coming in this fall, plus lunch club kids, plus our teens church kids, and I have a number of key volunteers leaving and going on to where God is calling them. Some are going into missions in Montreal, some are going up north, um, it's exciting that, that God is calling them, but there is a void now. So I'm shamelessly plugging, especially to like these front rows here. No, I'm, I'm being unabashed. We have youth that need love. We have youth who need people to walk beside them. And it's not just these front rows. They need parent figures, grandparent figures. They need people of all ages who are willing to walk with them. Because like I said, things are good and the last thing on that list is, is it going to advance on me? Is it on? Nope, it is not. Oh, there you go. I got to baptize two weeks ago a number of my teens. On the note of things to celebrate, we got to celebrate baptism with a few of our kids as they chose to publicly declare that Jesus is more important than anything. But in the same time that we were celebrating that, I don't know how many of you were following the news and heard about Brittany Lammy, 
who was missing for two weeks. And at the same time we were baptizing teens, we were praying for her because she's one of our kids. And we were broken and stressed because she had gone missing on Canada Day and she is 12. And we were so scared for where she was and we were praying and praise the Lord she is home now and she is okay after two weeks. But for those of you with kids, that is a scary thing to think about your kid being gone. And though she was not my kid, she was my kid. And it was a scary thing. And this year, I have also had to go to funerals. I have been to too many funerals this year, including the funeral of a 12-year-old girl who took her life because she could see no hope. So at the same time as things are good at LBE, things are also hard. Things are also difficult. And it is... The thing I have been learning this year, more than I have ever learned before, is that Jesus is the answer, the best answer the best hope of anything. And it is all I can do at points to not shout at the top of my lungs to my teens that there is a God who loves us, that there is a God who gives hope, that there is a God who cares about us. And that is what today is about. And so we're going to go into Mark. And so if you'd like to turn to Mark 14 and stand with me as we read our passage. We are starting in verse 12. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so he prepared the Passover. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man that betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is, the, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
This is God's word for us today. You can sit down. As I have been going through Mark this year, both here and with my teens, the heart of Mark is undeniable. That he wrote his gospel to see people come to know Jesus. That is the reason he wrote it. He was a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Most scholars figure he actually was a disciple of Jesus, not one of the 12, but one of the other people that regularly followed Jesus. And I'll steal thunder from whoever's reading the next passage of Mark 14. There's a little line about a man running away naked when he is arrested. And most scholars now figure that that is Mark inserting himself into the gospel and letting us know he was there. Mark was a real man who knew Jesus, who then later followed Paul and followed Peter as one of their disciples and was one of the founders of the early church. And he wrote down who he knew as Jesus. And he records for us this account of the Lord's Supper, this account of the last meal of Jesus' life. In the chronology of things, this is most scholars' name as Thursday night. It's after sundown, and they are having their traditional Passover meal, which we'll get into what that means. And it is literally hours before his crucifixion. It is after this meal, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It is in the garden that he is arrested. It is then over the night that he is dragged around the city of Jerusalem by his captors to the chief priest's house, to the Sanhedrin, to the religious rulers of, of that day. And he is dragged between them and put on some sham of a trial. He is then convicted, beaten, and then as soon as it is early enough that they can get in to see him, they go and see the Roman governor, say, we want him dead. The Roman governor sends him to Herod. Herod says, mm, sends him back to, to the Roman governor. And then by mid-morning, he's already hanging on the cross. So this is when it says the Last Supper. This is the last meal of Jesus before he goes to the cross. And by, within 24 hours' time, he will be dead and in a tomb from the time we are reading this. Three days later, he will be risen again. And that is where this story falls. And so this is a pivotal point in the Gospel of Mark. And a pivotal point, not just in the Gospel, but in all of history. I, I was trying to think of an analogy, and... Some of you will think, oh, he is so young when I say this. Some of you might think, oh, he is so old. But this year is my 10-year high school reunion. And there's a barbecue next, next week, actually, where a bunch of us are going to hopefully get together to, to meet up and catch up after 10 years. And I got thinking about graduation. And some of you, I've seen some of the Facebook pictures, have just graduated. And congratulations, you are done. At least one thing. But your convocation does mark a, a shift. It's, it's a pivotal point. It's a fulcrum in your life where you have gone from Monday to Friday, sitting in class, 8.30 to 
where you have known nothing else for 13 years except for two months of freedom in the summer. And now you are leaving that. And you might be going to university, which will look similar but still different. You might be going to a job. You might be going to travel. But things are never going to be the same as they were in high school. Things are never going to be the same as they were in school. What was is gone. What is is now the reality, whatever that reality is. And that is the Last Supper. The Last Supper is like convocation. The symbol of walking across, getting your diploma, switching your tassel from one side to the next. Those symbols are like the symbols we learn about in the Last Supper. But to understand those symbols, we need to understand what was. We need to understand school. We need to understand history. And that history is the Festival of Unleavened Bread, or Passover Festival. At the time, Jesus and his disciples had their meal. It was about 1,500 to 1,300 years, somewhere in there, after Moses and the Israelites had left Egypt. And the Passover looks at that and remembers what God did in what is called the the Exodus, which you can, interestingly enough, read about in Exodus. And this story is the story of God hearing the cries of a people who were enslaved and oppressed and hearing those cries coming in as a just and loving God and standing between the oppressor and the oppressed, and rescuing his people. He did this by using Moses to speak to Pharaoh and by using ten plagues to speak very powerfully to Pharaoh when words were not enough to soften Pharaoh's hard heart. And the last of those plagues was the ultimate judgment, the ultimate justice in this battle to win the freedom of the Israelites. And that was the death of every firstborn in Egypt. And I say every because it was every. It did not discriminate. Every firstborn would die. But God gave a provision. God gave a substitution to the Israelites so they would not have to have a firstborn in their home die. That Substitution was a lamb. And gruesome though it is to us, their task was to kill that lamb so that something in their home died and took the judgment that was coming down on Egypt. That lamb had to die and its blood be painted on the doorposts as a symbol saying, we are covered by the sacrifice of this lamb. We are covered by the death of this innocent creature. And that lamb took the place of the death of the firstborn in their home. And so that lamb became extremely important. That lamb protected the Israelites from death, first and foremost. It protected them. It stood literally between them and death. Second, God used it as an instrument of freedom. He 
used it to fight Pharaoh, to protect his own, and to take, to cover his own from Pharaoh, and take them and move them out of Egypt into freedom and to the promised land. So the lamb was protection from death. It was an instrument of freedom. And it was also a symbol of covenant. Covenant is a fancy word meaning promise, meaning connection. Uh, and that covenant was God saying, I, this lamb represents how I am here to rescue and redeem you, to take you from being oppressed and give you hope and a future. This lamb is here to rescue you and redeem you. It's here to save your life literally, and it's here to enable us to have relationship. From that point on, after this lamb, the presence of God stayed with them and resided in the tabernacle and then the temple. And they had direct access to God after this point in a way that they could understand. And that lamb marked the beginning of that covenant. And so that is what Jesus and his disciples were celebrating and commemorating and remembering in the Last Supper. And like I said, this was a ritual that had been practiced for over a millennia. It was well rehearsed, much like communion, which we are going to partake in later, the Lord's Supper, which we are going to partake in later, has been practiced by the church for nearly 2,000 years. Passover had been practiced for nearly a millennia. It had become rote. It had become tradition. All of Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself would have grown up every year sitting down for the same meal of bread and bitter herbs and wine and lamb to remember what God did. They would have sat down every year. They would have known the script by heart. And so we come to this moment on the eve of Jesus' death. And Jesus takes this symbol that was and uses it to flip things around and change things forever and gives us a new symbol that is better than and greater than the original symbol. And what he does is when the ritual goes on and it says in verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, and traditionally he would have said something to the effect of, this is the bread of our affliction, which reminds us of what happened in Egypt as we left and were taken to freedom by God. Something to that effect. But instead of saying that, he says, take, take it. This is my body. At which point, like the sitcom record scratch noise probably ran through all the disciples' head because they knew what a record player was. And they would have paused because Jesus had just done something completely new to them. He had taken and broken them out of this mold that they had known. And what he did by saying that the bread was his body and the wine was his blood 
was he was saying very tangibly that that lamb from 1,500 years ago was a foreshadowing of me. That that lamb was a taste of what I am going to bring. Because you see, Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. Where the lamb merely protected from death, when Jesus died, was buried, and then rose again, he not only protects us by that act from death, but he defeated death. I use the analogy with my teens of not only did Jesus take a bullet for us, but he then took and destroyed the gun. So he defeated death by that act. He gave us hope of eternal life through it. By dying on the cross, he took the penalty for our sin so that we could have eternal life. He made a way for those of us in this broken, imperfect world who are broken and imperfect to know a perfect God. Next, he brought true freedom. I'm excited that in the fall, Ephesians, or in in the new year, we're going to be spending some time in Ephesians, because Ephesians talks a lot about being made alive in Christ, and how as those of us who are covered by the blood, as the Israelites were covered by the blood of the Lamb, we have new life, and a freedom, and a joy that surpasses anything this world has to offer. Doesn't mean life is going to be easy, but it means we have freedom and joy. And Jesus not only completed that covenant from 1,500 years before, but brought in a new covenant that was more beautiful than the first. Because while the first covenant was between God and the Israelites, and that first covenant tangibly rescued them from slavery and oppression in Egypt, the new covenant that Jesus brings is for all of us. Not just for one people group, but for everyone. And it is not just from physical oppression, but it is a rescue from spiritual oppression and death, and it is a rescue to the kingdom of God, which is so much greater. And he's very serious about this. And I love that we have a God who literally stepped down onto earth step down to our level to communicate this to us and went to the point of death. The the verse where he says in verse 24, or sorry, 25, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew. That wasn't just a statement of fact. That was an oath. To say I will not eat and drink was to take an oath showing how deeply this covenant 
was rooted in who Jesus was. And he literally was saying, I'm going to do this even if it kills me, and it did. That's what that oath meant. And so we have a God who deeply loves us, who deeply desires relationship, and who in that relationship that he gives brings freedom and life, gives us mission and purpose, and gives us so much more than what this world would say to do instead. And I also love that as we look at how to respond to this, in this story, in this account, we are given guidance on how to respond. One of the first things I love is the fact that Jesus did this with his disciples. This meal was traditionally, it would be like Christmas morning. Christmas morning's with your family. Very few people say, let's get together, you know, with, with our friends for Christmas morning. That's family time. That was the Passover. It was family time. And so what Jesus did by celebrating it with his disciples was very tangibly creating, was he ta- very tangibly created a new family. And that is us here and now. As a family, we get to celebrate communion. And communion and the Lord's Supper, eating the bread and drinking the cup, is one of those universal things in Christianity. And it unites the billion of us that are on this earth people who would otherwise be enemies, people who would otherwise not give each other the time of day, are united under what Jesus did for us and are united as we remember him. And so as we look at how to respond, we respond together, which is a beautiful thing. And we have two choices on how we respond. The first is revealed to us in the talk of betrayal. Azar talked about Judas and his betrayal last week. Judas was someone who knew Jesus, who spent more time with Jesus than anyone else except a handful of others. But he never knew Jesus. And he chose to be hard, and he chose to use Jesus to steal and gain personal wealth. Luke talks about he chose to use Jesus for his own gain and as a tool for his own benefit. And when it came to the offer of Jesus, of true life and of freedom and of that covenant relationship, Judas turned his back on that. And so the reality is, we do have the choice, even for those of us who have been going to church since we were a kid, we do have the choice to turn our back on that. But Mark says, woe to that, woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. 
we don't say woe much anymore. But it is strong language. It is saying that not choosing Jesus, while it might seem good right now, while it might seem easier, while it might bring wealth, while it might bring fun, ultimately is as good as not being born. And that grieves me, because I know that there are people in this room who are choosing wealth and their own gain over Jesus. And one day you are going to face the consequences of that. And I grieve for you. And I grieve for those of my teens that I have seen make that choice. And I grieve for those of my friends that I have seen make that choice. But we do have another option. And that is to take and eat. And I love how in verse 22, Jesus gives us the correct response to what he did on the cross. He gives us the best response. And that is to accept it and to take it in. You can sit at a banquet table full of the most amazing food, but if you don't pick it up and put it in your mouth and chew, it will do you no good. And so Jesus, by dying on the cross, is reaching out to each and every one of us, saying, come, saying, take, and take the mercy, take the grace I am offering, take the better life I am offering. But we have to choose to take that. And so we're going to be transitioning in just a moment into communion where we will literally take bread and juice to remember what Christ did for us. To remember how he defeated death. To remember how he brings freedom, true freedom. To remember how he has created a new covenant with us. We are going to remember what he did on the cross as he bled and died so that that could be made a reality. But that is for people who have already come to know Jesus. And so if you are someone who is new here, who has never, never met Jesus before today, we ask you to spend this time meditating on what, what we've talked about today, this thing called the gospel, which means good news of what Jesus has done for us. And for those of you who, from whatever church you are from, if you are visiting, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again defeating death, and that because of that we can know God and experience true life both on this earth and into eternity, then join with us as brothers and sisters, 